Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and now tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And on this edition of our show, I'm going to... Sit down with new UConn head coach Dan Hurley in his office in Stores, Connecticut. Before we get to that, it's declaring time, if you will. After the Final Four, the next phase for the head coaches, it's going out and recruiting. Sometimes they got to recruit their own players. A lot of fifth-year transfers, a lot of guys transferring, moving all around. And, of course, you've got some of the high-profile names left in the class of 2018 making their minds up as we're taping Romeo Lankford, certainly the highest-profile player. He's choosing among Indiana, Kansas, and Vanderbilt. Uh, that'll be sometime here later this month that he'll make his decision and certainly affect the fortunes of one of those three schools for next season. But the new draft rules that were put in place within the last couple of years, people should not be shocked with all these players who are deciding to declare for the NBA draft because they can. They're not all going to get invited to the Chicago pre-draft camp, and that's okay. Um, we're getting reserves doing it. We've got guys who maybe were not as impactful. Uh, and then, of course, there are notable names who are just coming out and declaring and saying that they're going to sign with an agent and lose their amateur status. Some have just basically run its course. I mean, Kata Bates-Diop from Ohio State made sense. Four years in college, Big Ten Player of the Year. Mo Wagner from Michigan, three years Gets them the national championship game. Makes sense. The guys that are leaving Duke in droves every year. They knew that coming in. That was going to be the case. Wendell Carter as the latest one. No surprise there. But don't fault these players who decide to declare for the NBA draft. See if they can get to Chicago and get an NBA draft workout paid for. Because in the end, more than likely they're going to go back to school for next season. But they're also going to learn what they need to work on, which will ultimately benefit your school, if you're listening here, your coach, and the other teammates because they're going to find out what they need to do. Now, the key is when they get to college next season or when they get back on campus, not to do too much. If you're not a three-point shooter and you're not needed to do that on your team, then don't just start jacking up threes. But if you're a stretch four and that would help, a la Mo Wagner, great. I'll tell you, there's one example where two guys decided not to declare, uh, Zach Norvell, uh, well, excuse me, has not he did not announce it yet, if I'm not mistaken, Killian Tilly, excuse me, from Gonzaga, and Rui Hachimura from Gonzaga. They could have gone through the process, decided not to. They're coming back to Gonzaga. And by the way, that's going to make the Zags a top 10 team again. But, you know, not everyone has to go through the process. But if you do, it's okay. Don't scoff at these people. More than likely, they're not leaving. And so I just... You know, the way the rules are situated right now, it's okay to declare, go see if you can get invited, get a workout, and then you've got till the end of May to make that decision to come back. And no harm, no foul. Some of the people that want this rule changed where if you go through the draft 
get undrafted and come back to school. We'll see if that is adopted. I'm not quite sure college coaches would want that because you'd have to hold a scholarship open. Maybe they want a little help, maybe get an extra scholarship. We'll have to wait and see on that. But there are, I mean, there should be consequences for your actions. You decide to stay in the draft, you think you're going to get drafted, or you've already made a decision that you want to be a professional in some form. I think by the time you get to June, you know whether or not you want to go back to school. So I'm okay with if you didn't get picked that you decide uh, that, that you can't come back to school. That's okay. That was your decision. There always has to be consequences for that. And a lot of times it might be better if you didn't get picked, go in as a free agent, or maybe you'll make some money overseas somewhere. So that's all fine. It's sort of like a little soapbox moment here at the beginning of the podcast, but I want to get to my interview. Sit down with Dan Hurley. The Huskies got uh, someone that they should be very familiar with. Hurley, a player at Seton Hall, back when both schools were in the old Big East, Hurley competing against UConn, in a sense, in New England as the head coach at URI. Prior to that, he was at Wagner. And before that, he was the head coach at St. Benedict's. And certainly UConn faithful should be very familiar with the Hurley name. Uh, His dad, Bob Hurley Sr., the longtime head coach at St. Anthony's. Uh, Dan, as a head coach at St. Benedict's, uh, UConn was recruiting that area very well for a long time. And so that's what he wants to do. He wants to make sure the brand of UConn is basically known throughout New York and New Jersey and the Northeast, as it always has been. He's going to recruit that area. We're going to talk about that, talk about his decision as to why he, the timing was right to leave Rhode Island and go to UConn, how he mulled over the fact that uh, whether he was going to stay at URI, because loyalty is big to him. Uh, Pitt was also coming after him at the same time, right after URI lost to Duke in the round of 32. That's the second straight year that URI finished in the round of 32 of the year before losing to Oregon. Uh, This was a program that he built up in the Atlantic 10, making them basically the standard the last couple of years in that league, as he now goes to UConn to try to basically resuscitate a program that has been a brand name in college basketball with four national championships since 1999. Coming up here on March Madness 365, the head coach of the UConn Huskies. Now joining me here on March Madness 365, new UConn head coach Dan Hurley. We're sitting in his beautiful office overlooking their practice court here in Storrs, Connecticut. Uh, Dan, before we look back on your tenure at Rhode Island, uh, let's look forward. And and why was UConn such a great fit for you at this juncture in your life? Yeah, I mean, probably a little bit of everything, you know, in terms of just checking off all the boxes in terms of, you know, that, that next career move. You know, it's obviously... It's important for me to, you know, continue in, in the Northeast, you know, both for myself and, and, you know, my wife and family, obviously, you know, love, you know, love living in this part of the country. Um, you know, so it was a family decision, you know, first and foremost. And then, um, you know, just kind of in my prime in, in, in basketball as, as a player in the high school, going into Seton Hall and then in my coaching career, you know, UConn's been one of the, you know, the great college basketball brands you know, in the country and, uh, you know, just the, the opportunity that, that that presented to me to come and, you know, lead a program that, you know, the last couple of years have struggled, but, um, you know, the, the, the brand is real powerful. Yeah, I mean, you have an interesting perspective because you were in the Big East in its prime, so you saw that UConn. Then you're the next state over at Rhode Island when, in the last couple of years, URI's been better. 
than UConn. And, uh, you know, we never would have said this at the time, you know, whatever, five, ten years ago. You know, why would the URI coach go to UConn? He's having great success. UConn is heading in a different direction. At least that was the perception. So how do you look at the way that you've seen UConn from two different angles? Yeah, I, I remember as a high school coach at St. Benedict's, you know, the, the reaction of my players when, when UConn came in the gym, you know, when, you know, when, when a coach with that UConn polo came in and, and offered a scholarship or became interested in one of those guys, you know, the, the, the reaction, you know, the, the power of UConn, you know, so to speak. And it hasn't been a, it hasn't been a great last couple of years, but, you know, four years ago, national championship, you know, and then, you know, walking into this facility here, you know, and looking at the wall and, and, uh, you know, the, the volume of NBA players, first-round picks. You know, I think there's still even seven current players from UConn that are still in the NBA. You know, just all the tradition, all the history. You know, the, the name resonates with families, uh, prospects, high school coaches, AAU coaches, uh, you know, like not many other brands can do. So from URI's perspective, though, when you were there, uh, what was your feeling the last couple of years uh, as you're trying to create the URI brand you're winning games in the NCAA tournament. You're winning the A-10. How much did you feel like, hey, we're on equal footing here? Yeah, you know, it's obviously, you know, when you're in that, you know, that, that mid-major, uh, you know, that mid-major program and you're able to, you know, recruit above that level, which we were able to do at, at, at Rhode Island, you know, it, it, it changes the dynamic of, of your program. Uh, the eat, when you get players, the quality of, you know, E.C. Matthews, Hassan Martin, you know, Jared Terrell, Karan Iverson, you know, on the transfer, you know, Jeff Doughton, Fats Russell, you know, you're able to then compete against, you know, pretty much anybody in the country. Uh, and we were able to do that at the mid-major level, you know, taking over a high-major job like, like UConn, you know, obviously uh, that opens up doors to recruit prospects that, you know, we obviously uh, you know, didn't feel like we'd be able to get in the living room with. And now, uh, now you just feel like, uh, you know, kind of the sky's the limit in terms of the type of, the type of, uh, player that you can go after and, uh, and, the you know, the, the level that we can elevate this thing back to. So take me back to the decision because, you know, I've talked a lot about, you know, being happy and knowing where you fit. And, and I think back, I, I wasn't at your region, but I watched you walk off the court. I think it was with the, the EC. I'm not sure, but, you had your arm around a player. There were definitely watery eyes, some tears. In the last two years, really beyond that, but especially these last two years, you know, it was such a great bond with this group. How hard a decision was it to leave a, a group of guys that you really saw develop in, into a championship-level program? Yeah, it was uh, incredibly difficult. You know, it was, you know it, it was hard to leave St. Benedict's for Wagner, you know, because – just the, the style of program that I run, you know, lends itself to, you know, deep connection with the players, deep relationships, you know, love and then tough love at times, you know, uh, but like, you know, I'm all about relationships with my players and, uh, you know, it becomes a brotherhood and a family. So leaving St. Benedict's for Wagner was hard, you know, leaving Wagner for Rhode Island w w was hard and, uh, you know, leaving Rhode Island was excruciating. The, uh, the relationship with the players obviously was a big graduating class, which made it a little bit easier, you know, but the relationship with the returning players, uh, you know, the, the folks in athletics, Thor Bjorn, who's an amazing athletic director, uh, you know, the kind of the connection that you make with this with this fan base that grew from from really 
sparse, small crowds to, you know, an event in Rhode Island when we played. Just all of it was so hard to walk away from. It was like a, you know, it was like our baby that we created from nothing. You know, but Yukon was one of the few places that I could see myself walking away from you know, from that deep connection. But, you know, I met with, the, I met with, uh, with people on that Monday and it was excruciating three days. And I probably decided, you know, somewhere, you know, Wednesday, maybe 2 a.m., 3 a.m., <laughs> 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. You know, the, the decision that you had to go, I mean, obviously it was public that UConn and Pitt went after you. That's ACC and American. We talked before about last year, unfinished business because you guys had a great shot to beat Oregon. Matchups matter. The draw was not great. And, you know, you end up playing Duke in that second round. How much do you look back about the way you guys finished that sort of contributed to sort of the seeding that unfortunately ended up being in a bracket with a team like Duke that early? Yeah, we were uh, obviously kicking ourselves. The I think the big one that, that, that hurt us was the, uh, was the Davidson game to end the regular season. You know, up six uh, at the free throw line shooting a one-on-one. You know, to potentially go up eight with 40 seconds, uh, and to beat a good Davidson team on the road, a Davidson team, uh, Davidson team that, you know, gave Kentucky a pretty good game, and a lot of people were picking to, uh, you know, to even potentially upset them. So, you know, if we would have taken care of business down the stretch of that game, uh, and then obviously won the conference championship game in DC, you know, we were probably looking at, you know, a six seed, maybe even a five seed, which would have changed, you know, the whole complexion of, of our draw. You know, it was an exhilarating feeling to see, you know, URI versus Oklahoma, you know, the Trey Young, really, really sexy matchup, finding out that it's going to be the, the first game to kind of tip off the tournament on CBS. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that my heart and stomach kind of kind of shrunk and dropped a little bit when I saw that Duke flash there, just knowing that the year before they lost in around the round of 32 in South Carolina and that they were going to be incredibly determined, uh, you know, to kind of get through that round based on kind of what had happened the year before. And then I became even a little bit more unnerved when kind of like the day leading up to that game, all the top freshmen were kind of going out the day before. And I knew that kind of Bagley and Wendell Carter, you know, were going to be a little extra motivated. Actually, also, I don't want to bring up another one, but the St. Joe's game, senior night, that's the one I was thinking about, That like the, the one that – Maybe could have been. I, <laughs> you know, I, I learned a lot from that experience. For me, it's like I think a lot of people that I work with are afraid because I'm so intense and focused, you know, on that next game. I think a lot of the athletic department personnel was kind of afraid to talk to me about what the post game was going to be like because the last thing that a coach wants to hear is, hey, after you clinch, this is what we want to do. No coach wants to have that meeting with games to play. So I was completely oblivious as to what the pomp and circumstance were going to be when that game was over. The confetti, the cutting down the nets, holding up the trophy with still some meat left on the bone. Well, you know, in, in retrospect, I hope to get in that position here at UConn soon and we'll handle it a lot less, a lot differently. I don't think there'll be any scissors passed, passed around if we've got games left to play. Well, I mean, I don't think you can say unfinished business with what you did at UConn, winning the A-10 regular season title, um, winning the A-10 tournament the year before, getting the round of two, 32 two years in a row and, and playing well. So to just put a bow on that, your overall sort of perception of, of where the program was and where now you're handing it off to David Cox. I feel like, um, 
you know, the, 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 the six years, I appreciate the opportunity there from, obviously from, you know, from Thor Bjorn and, and Dave Dooley and, and the university. I feel like I, I, over the course of my six years, you know, I grew and developed and matured as a coach, which they allowed me to do. And, um, you know, and, and they asked me to, to come in and build a championship level program that would become a fixture in March, uh, and create excitement in the state and, and put it in a position where you, they'd have a great program that was a sustainable, uh, sustainable great program, which, you know, is exactly how, how I left it. And they couldn't be in better hands, you know, with David Cox taking over as the head coach. You know, it's funny. I, I was, you know, I had to kind of stay tuned to the whole search process because if Dave didn't get the job, I was holding a spot here for him because, you know, he, he's one of the best in, in, in the business, Dave. And, uh, you know, so I was kind of getting a little impatient with their search too. you know, kind of sending Thor encouraging text messages, you know, good luck with the search. Uh, you know, I should have probably put like a, Hey, speed it up too if you get a chance on there. But, um, they hired, they made a great hire. He was able to, uh, you know, to keep, you know, this core of great returning young players that all have all conference potential, you know, and then, and then obviously a, a lot of a top 30 recruiting class, you know, is going to be there with this fan base, with a new commitment to the program, you know, and a great head coach. And, and lastly, on that selection Sunday, uh, if anyone was paying attention, I think those that are listening certainly were. I love the reactions from you and Bobby. I mean, it was unbelievable. And, and you know, Bobby jumps into the pool at, at his house in, 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 in the Phoenix area there. Uh, and both of you guys just, you can just see the brotherly love about, you know, and how much you probably have talked every day and about each of your teams and the ups and downs. And certainly they were great early, then they struggled in the league. And you guys were great early and then a little struggle at the end. Just take me back to that day and that moment about what it meant to see Arizona State in in the field well i mean you know first off you know we, we kind of helped drag each other through the season at different points because you're never kind of up at the same time playing your best ball and then kind of down at the same time so it's usually like one of us is on top of the world while the other one just suffered you know a, a brutal loss to somebody so like it's this roller coaster that you're trying to kind of talk each other through, work each other through, and you never really kind of feel in the same way together. Um, there, for me, listen, bracketology starts, I don't know, sometime in the summer now. So like you're to say that you're not aware of, of kind of where you stand relative to the tournament, you know, coaches, you know, folks on the process, well, like that, that, I don't know that that's completely true. I think we're all pretty much aware of how the effects of certain games are going to affect whether we're in, out, seeding, so I wake up that Sunday or even that Saturday, you know, versus going into the St. Joe's game, just kind of feeling like, you know, my performance, whether we win or, or lose the Atlantic 10 championship may have an impact on, on whether Bob gets in or not. Because, you know, I think he was Lenardi's last team in. Jerry Palm had him somewhere. I'm, I, a lot of the bracketology had him on the fence. So, like, I'm nervous about and anxious about a chance to win our second straight championship. But like the, the the cloud that's hovering over me is, you know, the potential income uh, outcome of of my game relative to how Bob's going to be feeling a couple hours later, and the game ends versus Davidson. You know, we have a chance to win our. You know, we, we lose a close gang, game, bang bang game, and uh, my, my heart breaks for our seniors and our players and the staff. And then boom, as soon as that press conference ended in D.C. 
like all of my attention kind of turned to turned to Bob and like what did I just do potentially did I just <laughs> did I just let my big brother down uh did you know and like my mood just was uh was completely sunk uh, there was very little enjoyment about this upcoming selection show that I knew we were in but like uh I was in a very very bad way waiting for that show to start and the thing that helped me was the alphabetical uh the, this new format I don't know what people thought of it but I loved it especially for that year because I was locked in early and it was like exhilaration when I saw it like Arizona State flash it was like uh, exhilaration and then just like this flood of of relief that really kind of brought me to my knees after like a long weekend of of three games three days losing the championship thinking you might have got your older brother and then boom he gets in it was just amazing relief and then i can enjoy <laughs> i can finally enjoy the show i mean it's crazy because that could have happened the loss to davidson i mean arizona state was one of the, the last four they were playing in dayton I can't even imagine that if, if, you know, if your loss had bumped Arizona State out because the committee can't, they can't get into the nuances of that of, oh, you know, that would have been bad for Dan if he bumps his brother Bob out. I mean, they just can't think like that. No, guilt. I mean, just like the, you know, the, the guilt, um, you know, I don't see him that much because he's out west, but I'll be seeing him in, you know, in a couple of days in April recruiting. I'll see him potentially during like vacation time. I'll see him in July. But just all of our conversations. I mean, we talk once or twice a day uh, you, you, to let your best friend your best friend down, your big brother. Uh, that would have been just like the, the guilt. It would have just been excruciating. So UConn. Now, I've lived in the state for 18 years. There's been a lot of changes here. I, my, my two cents would be that uh, not that people have said this before, but you have to embrace where you are, who you are now. And I think there's been some issues with this fan base on the American, and they keep hoping that the Big East will come back or they'll be in the ACC or the Big Ten. The reality is not happening. Will it happen? I don't know. It's not happening now. The league is very good, no question, with Cincinnati. Houston had a great year. I think Kelvin's got them going. SMU's traditionally been, in the last couple of years, been very strong. Uh, Wichita State's not going anywhere under Greg Marshall. You know, you've got, uh, uh, you know, now Penny Hardaway at Memphis. And, you know, we'll see what Dunleavy can do at Tulane, if they they can continue up. And obviously Fran Dumfries leaving Temple. You got Aaron McKee. I mean, there's tradition-rich programs. This is a league that, uh, you know, consistently has had multiple bids so how do you embrace that and get your fan base you know this is who we are we can still compete for national championships but we got to win this league first which even though they won the title in 14 they haven't done yeah no it's uh it's a great league you know it's uh you know it's a high major conference you know the cincinnati's like you said the wichita states have been fixtures you know cincinnati I, i think was a two seed Two or three seed. Two seed. Yeah, I mean, a, a two seed in, in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, any conference that, that, that can produce, you know, a two seed is, is a big time league. Again, the Wichita State, the Cincinnati's, the SMU's, you know, the Temples, uh, you know, the Memphis, the Central Florida's. I mean, there's, there's great, great. And Houston, as we said. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and Houston, who, uh, you know, who, you know, was, uh, you know, was a desperation shot. Uh, versus the Final Four team away from, you know, getting to the uh, Sweet 16 themselves. So I, I think it's a great league. Obviously, you know, there's great, great moments in the Big East. 
you know, the, the, the captivating run by Kemba and, and some amazing memories. But this is obviously, you know, it, it's a new time for the program. You know, we can re- recruit, you know, and, and play at, an, I think, an incredibly high level here at UConn, you know, because of what this program on both the men's and women's side has meant to college basketball, you know, in the last 20, 25 years. There's not a better basketball brand in college than, you know, UConn basketball on both sides. And, uh, you know, the reaction that, we, that I've gotten from recruits, uh, you know, families, you know, high school coaches, AAU coaches, um, you know, I, I don't think that the, the conference, uh, you know, is going to be much of a factor for us when, when uh, you know, when UConn comes in and, and presents itself an opportunity to play in its program. If you have a, a head coach um, that, that kids want to play for and you do the right things with your non-conference schedule uh, to create excitement there, you know, I think you could certainly offset, uh, you know, kind of those Big East memories. So you know how important it is for UConn to get its footprint in New York, both playing whether it's MSG or Barclays or anywhere in New Jersey. And also, you just talked about this earlier, about the brand. You were the head coach at St. Benedict's, your dad at St. Anthony's. When UConn will walk in under Jim Calhoun, it meant something. Now UConn will walk in with you as the head coach, who's as familiar with that footprint as anyone. How much of a difference do you think that will make? I think it's going to make a big difference for us, I think. Uh, In terms of how I tried to put my staff together, you know, it's critically important for us to recruit, you know, the New England area incredibly well. You know, some of the best, you know, grassroots programs, both the prep school, AAU level, you know, are, are here. And then, you know, that, that mid-Atlantic, you know, that, that New Jersey, you know, to, uh, you know, to the DMV area, you know, into North Carolina, like critical recruiting, uh, you know, areas for this program. If you looked at the history of, uh, of UConn basketball, uh, it's been at its best when it's recruited those areas at a very high level. You know, and I think with the staff that I put together, you know, with Tom Moore, you know, Kamani Young, Kenya Hunter, you know, I, I think it's one of the, you know, one of the best staffs in the country that's going to be really ready to kind of attack that, uh, you know, that, that, that footprint that we want to really, uh, you know, try to have a big impact in and, and get people excited about. And, you know, again, it's about kids, you know, wanting to play for you. It's about kids believing that them putting their career in your hands, you know, is, is the best move for them, irregardless of, uh, of conference or where the school's located, you know. So for me, I just think with my history at St. Benedict's, what I, what I did there, Wagner, Rhode Island, the levels that we were able to get struggling programs when I walked in, you know, I, I feel like people are going to be real, real receptive to, uh, you know, to, to our recruitment of them and feeling like they're going to be entering a program that's going to, you know, get back to where it was in its glory days. So what'd your dad tell you? You know, we, uh, you know, we, we spoke, uh, you know, Monday night after I, you know, I, I had my meetings and then, you know, and then again, Tuesday, you know, once I kind of heard from, you know, Rhode Island and, and had a sense of, you know, what they wanted to do as well. And, um, you know, the thing about my dad is he, he doesn't offer up uh, uh, a ton of suggestions. People, I think, have him a little bit misread at this stage of his, uh, uh, you know, uh, being a grandfather, being a dad to me and Bob is he's not passing notes during the game. He's not calling us up after games and yelling at us, hey, you should have trapped him. You should have switched ball screens. You should have run this play versus the zone. He, like, waits until, like, we we ask for advice and it doesn't kind of like fit his, what you see from the outside. So uh, he was he had a really good, balanced, uh, thoughtful uh, you know approach to the advice he gave me, and 
you know, he, he felt like it was uh, just like a once in a, laugh, a lifetime chance for me. He has great, so much respect for what Coach Calhoun did here, what Gino's been able to do here, you know, what Kevin was able to do in, in, in the time that he was here, and what it what it means in your career in life to be the coach at UConn. It's like a you know a dream opportunity, and, and he knew that that's what it was for me. So. You know, I needed a couple of people to kind of give me a little bit of a kick in the end because it was, again, hard, but he was uh, he was all about it. Last couple of things here, Dan. Uh, Jim Calhoun, legend, Hall of Famer. Uh, I've always found that it's easier to be the coach who follows the coach who follows the Hall of Famer or the, the icon. Not that, you know, I mean, obviously Kevin won a national championship, but it's still hard when you're the guy right after the legend. So what has Jim Calhoun told you? Uh, and I'm sure you've had some conversations, obviously, uh, about taking over this job. You know, coach called me, uh, I, th- I think, Wednesday. I think we had a chance to speak maybe Wednesday, you know, late at night when I was still kind of going through the process. And, uh, you know, I've had a, co- a relationship with Coach Calhoun, you know, dating back to St. Benedict's. I don't know if I was like... You know, if he was necessarily my number one fan because I was unsuccessful at at getting a guy to come here, uh, which I and there were a couple that I desperately wanted here. You know, but coach for me is going to be an amazing, I think, you know, resource. Uh, you know, he has an office here. You know, he works at a, as a consultant at the university. You know, I've already kind of you know gone in and, and sat down with him and bounced a couple of ideas off him. He's watched a lot of these current players. He's he's even. You know, taking time out of his day to even sit in and, and watch a couple of our early workouts. Um, to, to have a, a, a coach at your disposal who's on, you know, the Mount Rushmore of greatest college basketball coaches, you know, in the last 30, 40 years, th- that's such a, a valuable thing for a 45 year old coach who's still looking to learn and grow every day and get better. So, uh, I mean, I just embrace the opportunity, like, you know, you know, kind of whenever I need him to kind of walk down there and, you know, and, and just gain some wisdom. What did Gino tell you? Well, you know, Gino, uh, you know, the kind of the timing of, uh, you know, the, the timing of, of, of with Gino hasn't been quite the same. He was he's still active, so we were able to, uh, you know, share some text messages, some some voicemails. I think we're going to sit down tomorrow and have our first extended meeting. But the word that I hear about about coach around here is just it's just genius. You know that that he uh, he's obviously one of the great coaches in basketball, but he's another. Again, I'm, I'm lucky to be in an environment where I could stop over there. Hopefully, he'll let me catch some some of practice and be able to talk ball with him and his staff. It's just a just a great opportunity for me. All right. So, for the UConn fans, American fans that are listening, next season, if there had been no coaching change here, it still might have been a little bit of a transition. A no postseason for this past season for UConn. What should people expect of the group that'll be on the floor in uh, the fall? I, th- I think you're going to see a, a really hard playing team. You know, a team that's, you know, I think going to improve a lot at the defensive end of the court. You know, I think it's going to be, a, you know, a team that, uh, you know, is, is, is going to look real committed, uh, and it's going to look like a, you know, committed to winning. It's like a, a program that has a strong culture. You know, it's got you know guys uh, pulling you know in the same direction. You know, and and there are some I think some exciting players that uh, that have a chance to. Uh, to have a to have a much better year this upcoming year than maybe they did last year, such as uh, uh, Jalen Adams, I think is you know is a is a guy that you know for me is is has got the talent to be a draftable player. Um, you know he's a potential player of the year in this league if he's if he's in great shape. Uh, you know if he's in a you know in a hardworking environment culture that 
you know, and, and his game's razor sharp, uh, you know, to start the season. You know, he's probably as good as anyone in this conference. Uh, you know, I think Josh Carlton is a, you know, is an exciting young big guy that, that, that has some, you know, some real potential here, you know, to develop into one of the better bigs at some point, maybe in the country, uh, you know, at 610. You know, Altery Gilbert, you know, it, it's probably a different story here at UConn if that guy's healthy uh, these last couple of years. Former McDonald's All American, I think, has only played seven games, you know, and then, you know, the Tyler Polies. Uh, there's some guys here that, you know, change in mindset, change in culture, fresh start. You know, they embrace, uh, you know, this new way of doing things, which is like, you know, we want to have one of the top five cultures in the country. We want to, uh, you know, look and play like like a Villanova in terms of the, the connection, uh, you know, the sacrifice, the, uh, the, the determination and, uh, you know, the, the culture is something you could fix right away. Well, thank you, Dan. I know we'll be uh, talking to you and watching you throughout the course of this season and many more. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it, Andy. So a little postscript from my interview with Dan Hurley. Uh, For those that are following UConn, keep in mind the next season, as Hurley told me, after we finish, they're going to take on Villanova and Madison Square Garden, the defending national champs. They return their series with Arizona. They played out in Tucson last season. Arizona will play at the XL Center this season in Hartford. And they're in the 2K Classic. With Syracuse, former Big East rival, Iowa and Oregon. Uh, Keep in mind also, as Hurley told me, that um, he wants to set up a series with Providence at the Mohegan Sun. Keep that old Big East rivalry going. They did play uh, Providence in a charity game this season. Those were allowed by the NCAA uh, to support hurricane victims. And that was at the Mohegan Sun. He wants to keep that going, uh, whether it's an exhibition or just a regular series. He wants that to be sort of a neutral site uh, a game with the Friars. He also wants to get a series yet again going with Georgetown and other Big East schools. He knows that that's important to the UConn faithful, and that's something he wants to continue. Uh, so on this podcast in the offseason, what we want to do is bring you sort of the newsmakers, as we did throughout the course of the regular season, in the offseason as well. That's why it's called March Madness 365. So we'll be with you every week in the offseason into the summer bring you all the news and things that you need to know about what's going on in college basketball. Thanks for listening. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge, Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.